And right now, we're just in this uh, discussion and talking, teaching about the meeting of the church. What, are the, what is the meeting of the church? What does that look like? What are the things that we should be aware of? And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And it just talks about the spirit of humility and lowliness that we're supposed to have. And one of the things that we should have our focus on is endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we should really be focused upon um, because there's a lot of attacks that come against the church from the religious, from Satan, um, trying to cause division, strife. And as I've always said, you know, just even with our personal life, imagine how many times on any given day you offend yourself. And so when we live among people, we fellowship among people, um, it's very possible that we could bring an offense against each other. And our focus should be to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. But he tells us in verse 1 that he begs us that we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called. And this is all about the church of Jesus Christ. He tells us in chapter 3 verse 10 or verse 9 and 10. He wants to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And that's the church. Which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. This is his eternal purpose that he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so God wants to manifest his wisdom right now to principalities and powers. God cannot, he can do anything that he wants to do, but he tells us in Ephesians 3.10, he, he will not, or he refuses to do that apart from the church. And so the church in this generation has got to have this desire to be able to walk worthy of the vocation that we've been called to. We've been allowed to come into the church of Jesus Christ. We've been saved. We've been given the mercy of God and the grace of God. And it is through this fellowship of the church that God's wisdom is going to be demonstrated. So in talking about that, we're going to discuss this aspect of the meeting of the church. And that's you and that's me. Every born again person. It's not these necessarily congregations that come together on Sunday mornings and we have the label church. But it is the body of Christ. That which has been born again of the Lord. The Spirit of God indwells us. And so it is that meeting. When, when this group of people are brought together by God. What, what should that look like? What should we be aware of? What, what, what is our faith engaged for? And I would probably say that if we were to ask most people, you know, what is the purpose of the meeting or, or the church? We would probably just, you know, consider it to be, well, you know, we just kind of leave our homes and we go to our public place and we find our seat and we, we sing the songs that are given to us to sing and then we sit down and we'll probably give an offering and and then we listen to a man preach and then after that we'll probably have a closing prayer maybe a closing song and then we leave and for most people that's the context of the church meeting that is not Jesus's idea at all that's not the scripture's idea at all and the proof is in the pudding Look at America. 
Look at our streets where the church of Jesus Christ is to be the light and the salt of the earth, to be a blessing among humanity. We have a society that is living in absolute confusion, immorality, hatred, bitterness, anger, murder, division in every front. And the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand the hope of our generation is for us to be able to be in unity in the spirit and that the Holy Spirit can operate through his church because that's what this is all about. It's not some clever committee trying to find out what are the biggest problems in Baton Rouge and what can we do to solve it. But the hope of our city and the hope of our nation is that the Holy Spirit would be able to move freely through the body of Christ and do the kinds of things that only he can do through the body of Christ. And these are supernatural demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. I long for that in my heart. I long for that. I want us to be a part of that. And so we look at this um, last week. We're going to go there this morning. You can turn to First Peter. And we understand that we have been given a ministry as priests. Okay? I want you to understand that. If you're born again, you have been given a ministry and you are called a priest. A priest is not somebody in a fancy outfit. It's not somebody on a platform. A priest is men and women who have been born again. And Jesus Christ has not only made them priests of God, but Revelation says he's made them kings as well. So we have authority and we have ability and we have responsibility to govern things. And so this is very important for us to understand. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this in verse 5. He says, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, our study last week was what these spiritual sacrifices are. And it's basically the fruit of your lips, the giving of praise to God, the service of your life. He says in verse 9, again, repeating it, you are a chosen generation, and here it is again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, this is the intent that you are that. If you're born again, God made you that. You didn't make yourself that. You didn't get it because you went to seminary. God made you that for this intent. It should matter to you. That you are to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's, that's one of your great focuses as a priest. I want to be able to demonstrate. I want people to be able to see from my life the praises of God. Because I used to not be his people. Now I am. I used to not have mercy. Now I do. And I didn't earn this. It was a gift from God. Because God has been so good to me. I want everybody to know it. And I want everybody to see it. And they're going to see it in the way that I worship. They're going to see it in the way that I pray. They're going to see it in the way that I go to church. They're going to see it maybe in the way I ride in my car. And I just get so excited about God. That I'm lifting my hands and singing. And people think I'm crazy. All right. But I just want somebody on this earth to know. There's a God and I know him. 
and he's been good to me. And so we should go to church like that. It, the church should be, I think, one of the most enjoyable, fun, exciting places to be. It's religious people that kill it. But, but I think it should be full of the presence of God, who is the most wonderful person you will ever know in your life. And so he tells us in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and I want you to see this, verse 7. Um, he, he, he gives us this, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober, watch unto prayer. Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves. For love shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another. This is, this is a priesthood. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And this is important, verse 10. As every man has received the gift. It doesn't say if every man or if particular people have received a gift. As every man has received the gift. Even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so we've received gifts, being born again, we've received gifts. The purposes of those gifts are to be used to minister to one another. Now, you might derive a personal benefit, a personal joy, a personal excitement about that. But the intent of God is not just a singularity of blessing that comes to you alone. But God wants that blessing to be enjoyed by other people. Your gifts are to bring blessing, not condemnation, but blessing in people's lives. And this is the manifold grace of God. And it's very careful. He says in verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, this is important. Let him do it as of the ability which God gives. All right. So, so our, our ministry is not going to be in our personal ability, but in the ability that God gives me. This is the last thing in the world I should be doing. What I'm doing, what I've lived my whole life doing is the last thing in the world that I should be doing. My nature, everything about me just disqualifies me to do this. But the grace of God has given me an ability to do things that I'm doing that I know I cannot do on my own. And it doesn't matter that, it, it doesn't mean that talent is irrelevant. We should offer our talents as sacrifices to God. You have an ability to do music, you should be doing it. You have an ability to take care of kids, you should be in the nursery or in fireplace helping. You have a, you have a longing for young people in the culture, and you have an, an ability, you should be working with them. We should be doing things. You have, a, you have a, an ability to care for people or to nurse people. You may not be a nurse, but you have that care taken. We should be in the nursing homes, or we should be helping in the hospital ministry. Things of that nature. We should use our talents for God. But the real demonstration of the Holy Spirit is not what you feel qualified to do. But the demonstration of God through your life is when he does things through you, you know you can't do. We're scared to step out in that because we don't feel like we can do it. And that's where faith has to come in. So we have to be careful to minister in the ability that God gives us. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And so these are the things that God has given for us to do. So what does this priesthood look like? It it looks like people that have genuinely 
been saved and they're happy about it. And it looks like people who are so in love with God, they want everyone to know it. And they have faith in God to such a degree that they want the Holy Spirit to minister through them to bless other people. And so in our priesthood, it's a twofold priesthood. It is a ministry to man and for God, and it is a ministry to God. So we minister to the Lord, and we also minister to men. Saved men, lost men, mankind. This is what we get to do. So we're going to look at the ministry to men today. In Acts chapter 2, this familiar scripture with all of us, the church is underway. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is governing it. He is moving freely in his church. And there's some dynamics here that, that we're able to see that the Holy Spirit instituted. And that we should be able to... Give attention to and give heed to. He tells us in 41. That they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. Fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Those are four pillars of a church being governed by the Holy Spirit. Doctrine. Fellowship, breaking of bread, which is communion and prayers. And there was the fear of God just moved through the city. And and the people that were walking with God really affected the society. You're, You're seeing a priesthood ministry at work. It says in verse 43, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. How long for that today? Many of these things being done. All that believed were together, had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. And it says in verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It wasn't because depressed people were walking through Jerusalem. It wasn't because people were, oh, I'm a Christian now. I can't go drink and I can't go dance and I can't go do this. No, it was none of that. It was people who genuinely fell in love with Jesus Christ. And they were walking through the city with gladness and they were hanging out with each other. We were, we were going to CC's coffee and having coffee and we were going over to Chimes and having lunch and we were doing this and we were just moving about the city, including Jesus with us, praising him and worshiping him and showing forth his praise. And people noticed us and they were getting saved every day, every day. But Satan would hijack this with religion. And he would make people, oh, well, I don't want to go to hell when I die. So I'll ask Jesus into my heart when I'm alive. And now I can't have any fun in earth. But you know, at least I have fun forever after I die. And, you know, we're depressed people. And nobody wants to come to that God. You know, I, I honestly think that we should be living in such a way that people should be asking us regularly. Hey, can I go to church with you? Can I, can I, can I know your God? Can, will you help me? I think our life should be like that. We privatized our Christianity. So they met in fellowship, doctrine, prayers, communion. 
Um, we've talked a lot about fellowship. This fellowship is, is when the body of Christ is ministering to each other. We're living under the, the direction of the head who is Jesus Christ. And we're, we're allowing the spirit of God to move through our lives and we're ministering to one another. So like if somebody has a need, we're, we're all praying for them. If somebody's about to go on a mission trip, we're all going on that mission trip because they're a part of our body. Somebody's suffering, we're all suffering. Somebody's rejoicing, we're all rejoicing with them because we're the body. And so we serve and we love and we believe and somebody's sick and, you know, we don't just sit in our chair and, and pray from a distance. But we're going to try to press in and get near them so that I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How do I know? Maybe the gift of healing is going to operate through me right, right now. Maybe God's going to give me this gift of healing. I'm, I, I'm a believer. I'm, look, the Bible says, lay your hands on the sick and they shall get me to the sick. Because God lives in me. There are people that need wisdom. I gotta, who are they? I got to get to them today. I got to pray over you. Because I know the God of wisdom. Right? And so I'm not going to just sit in a seat. Sing a song, sit down, leave. No, I'm a minister. I'm a priest of God. And when needs are recognized in my life, I believe it's God communicating with me. Hey, I want you to step out in faith and I want you to serve men. And you may be uncomfortable, but I, I want you to serve men. I want you to do something. I, I, God may say, I don't know, Sissy's coffee. I want you to go buy a coffee and a muffin and go take it to the homeless guy right there at the corner. And just offer it to them and say, let me, let me take a moment with you while you drink your coffee and let me share Jesus with you. It, it, this is the priesthood that we have. This is what we are now. Paul says in 1 Timothy, if turn there quickly, he says in 1 Timothy, and I want to get to some things that I want to stand out to us today. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 13. He says, and, and this should be things we should expect when we go to church, when we gather together with the body of Christ. Till I come, give attendance. And that just means don't neglect this. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, singing's not mentioned. Our quote, worship and praise is not mentioned here. Does that mean we don't do it? No. Because he's not saying only do this in church. But what he's telling us is this, don't neglect this. But how often today have people gravitated to places for the worship? For the theatrics, if you will. But there's not a whole lot of doctrine. There's not a whole lot of reading of the scriptures. Maybe we'll flash a verse up. And then for the next 30 minutes, we'll talk about that verse. But just really getting into the word, there's not a whole lot of that today. Most people don't even bring their Bibles to church today because they don't need to. There's not a lot of reading. And Paul says, listen, don't neglect this. It doesn't mean this is the only thing that you do. But these are important things that need to occur and they should not be overlooked. Doctrine, exhortation, 
and reading. And the exhortation is the preaching of doctrine. It's the exhorting of it, the explaining of it, and so forth. And so these are some hallmark things that should be going on when the body of Christ comes together to bring about its edification. So we should come and seek the Lord. It doesn't mean that we should get out of line. It doesn't mean that we should create chaos within a church. It doesn't mean that we should force our way because I really want to do something in the spirit. And I I may move the whole direction of what the Holy Spirit is doing. It means that the Holy Spirit, when he moves, he does things, number one, for the exaltation and the absolute beauty of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, when he moves, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he does not want to behave in some kind of way that makes people sit in a church service and say, they're weird. Now, they may say they're different, but not to say that they're weird. And he deals with that in 1 Corinthians 14. He also does not want to move in such a way that people would assume we have no idea what's going on and there's just absolutely no order. 1 Corinthians 14 deals with all of that. Hey, when, 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 when we speak in tongues and we pray in tongues, we need to be careful that when we're ministering to somebody, they can understand us. Because if I pray over tongues and I'm praying for somebody in tongues over them, they can't agree with me. They don't know what I'm saying. So we have to be able to pray in our understanding with them as well. And when people come in, we don't want them to leave saying, you're all mad. What are we trying to, we're trying to attract people to Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And the Bible says that God is a God of order and he's not a God of confusion, right? So oftentimes in a church and, 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 and you're feeling like God's wanting to move in your life and maybe you've just got, man, I, I, especially if you're a guest or you're a visitor, you, you, you would respect the things like, hey, I, I really feel like God wants to do something in this service. And so maybe you find a pastor that's there and you go up to the pastor. It could be during the worship. It could be, I feel like God wants to say this in this service right now. I want to submit that to you. And, and, and even if you're a member in the church and good standing in the church and and you feel like God's moving but you're not quite sure that it's the Lord you can go to one of the leaders of the church and say I really believe God's moving me like this what do you think and you can get help from leadership within the church to give you the courage maybe to step out in faith and and that happens a lot and almost every time people are right on with God and, and they're able to speak that word or read that passage of scripture. Or perhaps the leader will share that word for them that needed to be shared. And somebody was delivered. Somebody was healed. Somebody was set free by that. And it's just beautiful. See, the body works together. And we help each other and we support each other in the things that we're doing. In the church, we should keep the ordinances of the church. And there are two ordinances in the church. And I want to talk about them quickly. One is water baptism. And I want you to see this in Matthew 28 very quickly. Because I know that you're familiar with the process. I just want you to be able to understand the why of it. In Matthew 28 verse 19. Jesus said, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So Jesus gave his disciples this charge that when you go into the world and you're teaching men about me, then you are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this, is, this was the pattern. This is what Jesus instituted for the church. We do not believe that water baptism saves us. We believe it is an expression of the salvation that's already occurred in us. That we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. But it is important to be baptized. In our Western culture, we're not so familiar with it. But it was important to Jesus. In the New Testament, as the the church goes forth, we hear them oftentimes as we read in the book of Acts, they're baptizing in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Division comes, right? Strife comes. Particular denominations say, well, your baptism didn't work because you said Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you didn't say Jesus, or you didn't use in Jesus' name, and so the phrase was wrong, your baptism's invalid. No, that's, that's not the intent of the Lord at all. In, in, the, in the scriptures, we understand that there are many baptisms. I'll give, you, I'll give you three. There was the baptism of Moses, the baptism of John, and the baptism of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the baptism in water. That, that is a profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. The baptism in Moses is when the children of Israel went through the Red Sea with him out of Egyptian bondage and on their way into the promise that God had for them in the land of Canaan. They all went through that cloud with Moses and Moses brought them. That meant that Moses was a unique figure. Moses was a figure that God raised up in the nation of Israel to institute the law of God to these people. He would define the nation of Israel in such a profound way that nobody up to that moment had ever defined Israel like he did. He instituted the law and the ceremonies which were types and shadows of the coming Messiah and how God would redeem mankind and he would redeem Israel. It was God's desire. And so this was Moses. Moses was sent by God and the people that followed Moses were declaring that we believe Moses has been sent by God and we believe this law that was was given to us by Moses was given to us by God. And then we have another baptism and it's the baptism of John. And so people were baptized in the name of John. And so we would wonder why were people baptized in the name of John? Because John, as Moses marked the beginning of the law, John marked the end of the prophets. You have the law and the prophets. Now, I'm not saying there's no prophets today because there's certainly New Testament prophets today. But John the Baptist was the rising up of the end of a system. Jesus was the beginning of a new covenant. And so John was marking the end and there was many contentions. Jesus even questioned the religious leaders of that. He said, hey, John's baptism. He said this to the people. John's baptism, was it of God or man? And nobody dared answer him because they knew the revolt of the people. Because many believe that John was sent from God. Well, how do you know the people believe that John was sent from God other than it was those who were baptized by John? And that's what it meant in the name. So now when they would go forth in the new covenant and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not about phrases and slogans. 
It is about this belief that, that we believe that Jesus Christ is who he is. He was sent from God. He instituted the new covenant. He brought an end to the old. He brought something brand new that's not like the old. It's not the continuation of the old. It's something totally different. Therefore, we're not continuing in Moses and we're not continuing in John. But from now on, we have come to God through Jesus Christ and we will live our eternity with God through Jesus Christ. And that's what we believe him. We believe that he's come from God. And so that's why they would use the name Jesus. Because Jesus denoted this, this, this teacher who was sent from God. And anyone who was baptized by him was justifying God. That we believe you sent Jesus and that he is indeed your son, the Messiah. I want to read this with you. It's in Luke chapter 7. He tells us this in uh, verse 29. Jesus makes this comment. About his baptism and John's baptism. And he says, because some of us might wonder, well, why was Jesus baptized by John? And that's a whole different teaching on water baptism. But he says this in verse 29 of Luke 7. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, not being not baptized of him. And so when you see this water baptism, and this is just in regards to John, this is, this is very plain in the scriptures. Those who were baptized of John justified God. They were agreeing with God as to who this man was and what he was teaching. The Pharisees, verse 30, you can look at it. The Pharisees and lawyers, they rejected the counsel of God. How? Just by not being baptized by him. And so when it comes to water baptism with Jesus Christ, because this is not a Western thing for us. When we are not water baptized, after we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we would be rejecting the counsel of God as it concerns his son, Jesus Christ. But when we are water baptized after our faith in God, we're justifying God being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I'll be honest, I don't understand all of the fullness of those things. Because in my Western culture, water baptism is not something we really understand. But in Middle Eastern culture and following particular teachers, it is the demonstration that everything has changed and everything is new as a result of meeting this man. And Jesus asked us to do this, to be baptized in water. I want to move on and I want to talk about the Lord's Supper. In Luke chapter 22, this is something else that we do. And every week we have the Lord's Supper here at the church. Um, we encourage you can, you can do this on your own. You can do this with a group of friends as well. But in Luke chapter 22, the Bible tells us Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper with the people. And he says in verse 15... With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup 
and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And so Jesus is describing that this is something he is instituting for his people as a way of remembrance. Oftentimes when we partake of communion, we do just that. We remember. Remembering to Jesus is not that we just let our minds go back to an event 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified for us. It includes that, but it's not all-inclusive in that. What he wants us to know is, because he's telling us, we're going to do this again together. I live. I'm going to die, but I live, and I'm going to live, and I want you to do this with the expectation I'm coming again. And I want you to understand that what I did do for you and, and the stripes that I bore, it was for your healing. And the blood that I shed was for the remission of your sins. And so I want you to believe that I'm here to heal you. And I am among you to forgive you. I, I, I want this to be active in your life when you take communion. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul deals a lot with this in if Carla's here, if she can come up or in first Corinthians 11, he tells us this, and this is Paul. And he's kind of going through the communion here. And just for the sake of time, you can read these things and you can see them as, as Paul laid them out. And I just referenced the scripture to you as he talks about this. And he explains these things to them in, in, um, Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He was rebuking them for getting drunk and having these love feasts, and they weren't sharing their food with other people. But he talks about when he comes in in verse 23, I have received of the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show. And it's interesting, that word show means you preach, you declare, you speak of the Lord's death until he comes. So even in the Lord's Supper, we are speaking about his death and his coming. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. That's so strong. Not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Some have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And I just say that Paul really 
elaborates on the communion, doesn't he? Um, this blood represents the new covenant. This, this that we take of, and, and this bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. And I believe Paul's intent is he says when we're not rightly discerning the body of Christ is maybe we really don't understand this new covenant that Jesus Christ has instituted for us. That God has made possible because of his precious blood of his son. And the mercy and the kindness and the forgiveness of God that is in that. Perhaps we don't discern that mystical body of Jesus called the church. And we hold offenses and grudges and bitterness towards one another. When we should endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. When we should love one another with the love that God has loved us with. When we should be kind and tender hearted and forgiving. And I believe even in a greater way. Discerning the Lord's body. Perhaps discerning that it is his body. It's for him. I'm for him. It's, it's, it's the means by which the Holy Spirit can move in the earth today. Because he's chosen it to be that way. And I don't want to hinder his body or hurt his body. And I don't want to hold a grudge against his body. And I don't want to be bitter in my heart towards the body of Christ. Regardless of what's done to me. It doesn't matter. I've certainly done worse to Jesus than anything that was done to me. So it's not that I just clean my heart up and it's not that I just put these things. I can't save myself. I can't save myself from anger. I can't save myself from bitterness. I can't, but I can certainly go to my Savior who can. And I can confess that to him and admit that to him that maybe even while I'm taking communion, God, I am, I just have something in me about this person. And I submit it to you and I repent of that to you. Thank God that blood that you're about to, that represent that cup that represents that blood that you're about to take represents, God will forgive you. He'll forgive you. And God will go to work in your heart to help you. He'll help you love. He'll help you be kind. He'll help you be tender hearted. He will help transform you from being a victim to being a victor from the things that you've been through in your life because that's what this communion is about it's not just simply remembering an historical event it's remembering a living savior who lives to heal us and forgive us and these are the kind of things we're supposed to be doing as priests we're supposed to be doing these things not finding a seat but finding a need Finding a situation that I can go love somebody, I can pray for somebody, I can help somebody. Maybe even finding an altar and just saying, God, cleanse me because I want to be of use to you today. Whatever it may be. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that um, you help us to, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be the priest you, you, you need us to be. We don't look to ourselves as being clever in this or boasting in ourselves because we feel qualified to do this who, who is sufficient for these things but we look to you your grace we want to serve you faithfully we want you to be glorified magnificently 
in, in, in the meetings of the church and when the church is going about the city. We want you to be glorified, exalted and seen and worshipped. Help us, Father, to have a life of faith, a life of belief that obeys you because you give us strength in your Holy Spirit. Just ask you, just even while we close with this song, would you just take a moment and ask the Lord to give you the revelation of His Spirit in your life so you can function as a priest. Not for God to make you a priest. He's done that. But the revelation that you are one and the possibilities of the Holy Spirit in you that God would show you that. He would show us all that. Be such a demonstration of His Spirit.